Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks on a Move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 218. Well, just ahead, at one time, we thought Fisker was going to be a Tesla killer. But have we now learned that it's just roadkill? And a big solar company announces a sizable decline in revenue growth. So why is the stock so sunny? And the secret high-tech story behind Simpson Manufacturing. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind some stocks that are very much on the move. At my side today, as in all shows, our editor extraordinaire, Ben Wilson, except today, you can actually hear Ben as he listens to me blather on. You'll hear our executive producer, Isaac Webster, later in the show. But Ben, thanks for joining me today. Of course. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I'm sure it'll be funny to hear my own voice while I'm working on editing the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Everyone hates the sound of their own voice. I'll, uh, I'll pretend it's somebody else. Although you, on some of this podcast, like on Spotify and other platforms, you can listen to us at like one and a half X speed as I do, or two X speed or three X speed. So we all sound like chipmunks. Exactly. An even more efficient way to consume some of your fascinating perspectives. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Fisker. Fisker. Fisker trades as FSR. Uh, Shares are down 10% this week, but they are down 41% for the year. Not a great year for Fisker. Why Why don't you share a little bit of what's going on? Yeah, this thing was supposed to be the Tesla killer, or at least a Tesla competitor, uh, and it was certainly valued as such briefly. But uh, they have had trouble making these cars, these electric cars that are really cool looking. And by uh, now that they've finally made a few, well, their production targets are coming into, into view, and the production targets that they have uh, set for themselves that is support of the stock is no longer supporting the stock because they're no longer the same targets. They've cut their production targets again when announcing quarterly earnings. Third such cut in the last 12 months. They're still really aggressive, it seems, with an expectation of 20,000 units on the low end. And that would mean a substantial production ramp in the next few months that they have not shown the ability to do yet. And on their conference call, um, they said that they would get to 6,000 a month in the next couple of months. So they're going to have to really, really, really ramp this thing. And as I mentioned, they haven't shown an ability to do that. Um, and they've also promised that they're going to have a non-dilutive financing. They've been promising this for months and months, quarters and quarters even. But instead, in the most recent quarter, they sold $340 million in convertible bonds, bonds that convert into stock. That is a dilutive financing, not a non-dilutive financing. And indeed, they were priced at a 12% discount to the stock price of that day to a single unnamed investor. Fundamentally, that means they're going to add about um, 34 million potential shares when those convert a dilutive financing indeed 
Uh, they cut their profit and free cash flow targets for this fiscal year. Again, that lower production figure. None of this good from this for this company, and I think that's why you've seen the stock sell off. And yet, in spite of all that, they were still talking on the conference call optimistically about margins in the future. Here is a chief operating officer, Gita Gupta Fisker herself. Uh, the first uh, critical topic is to design and engineer a vehicle uh, where you have thought about gross margins, you have thought about material input, you have thought about the number of parts. So we, from the get-go, created an organization that thought about selling a $37,500 car, not a $100,000 car. So the entire organization thinks about fuel parts. The entire organization thinks about a steel stamp body. How can we engineer the car for more efficiency? So that's the first topic. The second topic is that uh, we've seen battery costs go down. So the input costs on batteries went down from Q1 uh, from Q to Q2 to Q3. So I expect those trends to continue to further go down. And I think number three, what's really critical is to look at volumes in terms of the program lifetime. So from a program lifetime, we have a 50,000 annual volume, and those volumes are fairly straightforward. So 50,000 annual volume, they're not even making a few thousand a month right now. Uh, that seems like it's a long way off, Ben. And uh, as cool as these cars look on the website, I don't think we're going to see a lot of these cars on the road. <laughs> now, Corey, I don't spend a lot of time in the uh, electric vehicle space, but have they started selling cars? Are people driving these or are these all their best guesses about what they're going to be able no, to the sell? The Fisker Ocean is out there now, okay. finally. They finally pushed them off the, off the uh, production line. But again, just the numbers that they're promising and the numbers that they're actually creating are just looks like it's going to be really hard to get there. Um, and I think that that skepticism is finally uh, skepticism is finally showing up in the stock price. Understandably so. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at Array Technologies. Array Technologies. Array Technologies trades at ARRY. Array is up 25% for the week but 21% for the year. So the entirety of its stock movement is pretty much what went down in the last week. So uh, what went down in the last week? Yeah, well, it's crazy. So they announced earnings and they were a little bit better than expected, but the company lowered their annual revenue target by 8%. And yet the stock was up 25%, as you said. Uh, just, you don't see that much. It's pretty crazy. Here's what happened to Array Technology. So this is a New Mexico company uh, with a $3 billion market cap. Uh, they manufacture and sell ground-mounted systems for big solar energy projects in the U.S., Spain, Brazil is a big deal for them, uh, Australia and other elsewhere. But, uh, uh, you know, again, a company with falling revenue growth, just as the Biden Administration Inflation Reduction Act, that spending is really starting to hit the market. So why is are these guys seeing things slow down? It is, it's a head-scratcher. Um, uh, and, you know, I think the bigger surprise is that Array likes to boast about their solid backlog of booked orders, but those booked orders aren't showing up. They're saying that the bookings, well, bookings are up and Wall Street really excited about the bookings. Bookings up, but the, the realization of those bookings, that is, they say they've got contracts to complete these jobs, but they don't seem to always show up. And indeed, when they announce this lower revenue guidance, uh, they said that uh, the revenues from those bookings aren't going to convert to sales as fast as they might have hoped. Now, Wall Street, I said, again, got really excited about the bookings number. But to me, when I see the when they're saying, hey, these bookings aren't turning into revenues very fast, you start to realize, wonder how 
um, solid these bookings really are. They've had multiple restatements of their financials. Another reason I question this company, they got rid of their longtime auditor recently. They've had a revolving door of executives. The company just announced a new chief strategy officer this week. So is the strategy going to be the same? Don't know. Lots of insider selling of the stock. Uh, and uh, uh, when we look at this current year, which was supposed to be the great big year for Array, well, on the conference calls, CEO Kevin Hostetler now says it's, well, this year, we'll call it a transition year. I'd characterize it at this. 2023 is a transition year where we've stayed focused on driving those parts of the business that are with our, within our control. So while it may be flat on a revenue basis at our current guide, you're talking about doubling the adjusted EBITDA on a business on flat revenue. And, and you're doing that through a lot of hard work and effort throughout the company. And I, I, again, I just want to congratulate the array team members for the amount of work going in so many different areas to drive that level of operating performance. So it is a transition year. It, it does, again, create a lot of free cash flow to set us up for a great, much better balance sheet as we exit the year into our next phase of growth being 2024. I think, if anything, we've been able to prove our ability to deliver those mid-20s margins. And I've historically said that we'd be at mid-20s margins by 2024, being in 2024. We're just doing that at an accelerated pace at this point, just due to that same execution we talked about. So he's talking about an accelerated pace, but he's also telling us the pace of revenue recognition will be slower not accelerating, but decelerating. Um, this is one to keep an eye out. Uh, Goldman Sachs just raised their price target on the stock. And yet, and as, as you mentioned, the stock up 25% uh, when announcing that the revenue growth was going to slow. And revenues would be not as big as they had earlier expected this year, uh, creating a little bit of tension into this uh, this name. And Array Technology is one to watch. Seems like a lot of optimism from investors. But... Uh... Corey, what is your next drill down? A uh, friend of the show, DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean trades under D-O-C-N. Uh, stocks are down 25% for the week and 25% for the year. Corey, sounds like uh, the opposite of what's going on with uh, with Array. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what's going on with DigitalOcean? So friend of the show, DigitalOcean CEO Yancey Sproul has been on the show not once, two times. In the drill downs history, these are one of the, it's a rare club. Uh, this is a company that provides cloud computing services focused on startups and small businesses. Think of it kind of as a, um, uh, like a, an Amazon Web Services uh, for startups. And um, they reported, according to sales, right where they expected to be, but they went ahead and adjusted their full year sales and adjusted EBITDA guidance. I say adjusted, meaning they cut it a lot. Uh, they said customer spend is eroding. Uh, notably, they said uh, their guidance, uh, customer utilization isn't up there. So people aren't even using the service when they're getting it, uh, let alone being, them being able to upsell more services to them. Um, they cut guidance by $27 million in the top line. That's a midpoint of guidance. Uh, and that assumes a contribution of this uh, AI platform paper space, which they acquired in July of this year. Now, because of some of the timing of that acquisition, their growth is expected to slow down at single digits before they bring this in, but even when they bring it in, that'll only be single digits for this company. And they're, uh, they've been using a lot of cash to buy back stock, uh, $1.3 billion um, since the end of 2021. But they're going to stop doing that. Uh, they're putting the brakes because of all the money they had to spend 
to buy paper space. So they're buying this expensive AI platform. They're going to stop buying their own stock. And that this new AI platform is only going to add a few million dollars to revenues in this year. So a real concern at the same time, as we mentioned with Array and a revolving door of management, you've got the chief accounting officer, new chief financial officer for Digital Ocean. And they also got rid of Ernst & Young as their, uh, their auditor in March of 2023. So on the conference call this week, the new CFO, uh, Matt Steinford, talked about the new lower range of guidance from DigitalOcean. So what we've done is we've, we've given a range which is fairly tight, and it's reflective of kind of if, if it doesn't change from where it is today, it continues at the current um, uh, decline, uh, rate of decline that, um, in, you know, the NDR being about 90, uh, in the, oh, the mid-90s here in the, uh, in the second half. That, that's what you'll see. And so that doesn't assume any improvement in the cohort. It doesn't assume any dramatic improvement in the um, in the rates of uh, growth around our monetization initiatives or any go-to-market initiatives. It assumes a very modest impact from um, from the paper space at less than five million. So we, we believe that um, you know we we rotated to a, a I'd say a reasonably conservative view of what the um, the potential is for the second half. And I think that's appropriate until we see a bottom uh, because we can't keep hoping every month that, that it, it'll bottom. We have to um, accept the reality that it may not for a couple more months or quarters. So the reality is, I mean, that, that did not sound a positive to me at all. Like they're hoping for a bottom. They're looking for a bottom. They're not seeing the bottom every month. Maybe the bottom's here and there's no bottom. Sounds well, like there's said a, it's fewer bottoms than Sir Mix a lot. It sounds like there's a pun to be had there about sinking in the digital ocean. Um, but we love their CEO and we'd love to see them that. on a third time start a new club. So hopefully, hopefully well, they turn we'll, the ship around. We'll certainly, we're going to watch. We 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 wish them well, but it seems like they don't even know when the bottom's going to be here. All right, enough of that negative stuff. Seventy-five percent gain. For Simpson Manufacturing this year, the CEO, Mike Olsky, Olsky joins us in a second here. But a really interesting conversation. Why would a, a company, a Simpson Manufacturing, that supplies the housing market in a really tough housing market be up so much? Well, Olsky tells us the fascinating story of Simpson Manufacturing through the lens of high technology. Cool story from an unlikely source right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down podcast. We're glad to have you. Fascinating business. Uh, Simpson Manufacturing. Uh, it is almost a Silicon Valley business and based in Pleasanton, uh, California, right in the East Bay uh, uh, of uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, um, right down the street from, uh, I don't know, Workday and Once Upon a Time PeopleSoft. Uh, Mike Olsky joins us right now. Olsky, I should say, the CEO of Simpson Manufacturing. Mike, glad to have you. Great. Thank you very much for having me. So uh, the Simpsons business is, uh, I always think of the Simpson Ties because whenever I'll see a house under construction, you'll see those those little metal things that that hold together pieces of the roof or something. Uh, you guys dominate that business, the the wood business. You've got well over fifty percent market share. It's 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 a fantastic story. And speaking of fifty percent, your stock's up almost fifty percent in the last uh, year to date or so. Um, uh, you guys are on a fantastic run. 
Thank you, Corey. I appreciate it. I know the team's working really hard to take care of our customers and that everything else kind of follow, falls in place from there. So who are your customers? Yeah, so our uh, 50% of our business is tied to residential. So the biggest group of customers we have would be the builders and the lumber yards and pro supply dealers that, uh, that support them. We also supply and serve the um, commercial construction market. So we've got a, a good sized business in that space. And then we also do a lot of work with the national retail. So predominantly focus on the building and construction industry. And um, when you're selling to them, or you're, you're obviously not selling to the builders, the, the individual builders, or but you're selling to the, the big home builders or or to the companies that supply them? Um, so all, all the above. So um, our process, we start usually with the specifications. So we're starting with engineers and architects. Um, we do a lot of work with the people that do building codes. That drives specifications. And then we work with the builders to pull those specifications through via various programs. And then we support all the pro lumber yards um, that uh, service and support them. So really the whole industry we cover pretty well. And you guys also have a, a very, you know, when you do screens looking at, at big companies and, and how they're managing their businesses, you guys have a ton. You have two things that look really weird to me uh, from a f- uh, financial perspective, um, uh, not a stock perspective and not a product perspective, but you have really high gross margins, like software-like gross hard margins. And you have a ton of inventory, like really bad companies often do. If I see 150 days of inventory for a company, uh, I'm thinking this is a really big problem. Uh, but you carry tons of inventory and you have really high gross margins in a business where you, I guess I can sort of understand the inventory aspect of it because this stuff doesn't get stale. But uh, it's a lot of inventory. And again, the gross margins are just fantastic for your for your company. Yeah, yeah. so we think that all comes down to a very strong customer-centric business model. So service is a top priority for us. Uh, value number one is relentless customer focus. And so we spend a lot of time and effort making sure we're doing everything we can to take good care of our customers. That includes having um, high availability of products. So our target is to take an order, um, ship it out the same day. It gets to our customer or the job site the next day. And we do that with a 98% service level. And Corey, we've been able to do that 98% service level through the whole pandemic supply chain um, challenges. And big part of that is because we do carry a lot of inventory to take care of our customers. And that's helped us win a lot of customer awards over the last uh, couple of years. So if you continue to keep that level of inventory, does that mean the uh, the effects of inflation on metal prices and on wood uh, that hit the rest of the economy, the rest of the world in the last 18 months will be delayed for you by about the same kind of time frame because those costs are just hitting your customers now? Yeah. So first, we don't sell wood. We connect wood. So those stamp steel right, parts that you, you talked about, we yeah. connect the wood. So we don't carry that, but we do buy steel. That is our largest raw material. Um, we're very thoughtful in terms of how we we purchase the raw material, uh, purchase steel. We've got one of the best buyers in the industry, so we're managing that appropriately. And even though our inventory levels, um, you know, are high, as you mentioned, um, we are working pretty hard to make sure that they're optimized for the products that we're selling. And Corey, we've got about twenty thousand SKUs, so that inventory helps us make sure that we're doing that high service level across that total product line. Wow, and uh, and lots of different screws. So if you look at our main product lines, uh, the first one is wood connectors. So that's those stamped steel high-tech parts, not those little parts you mentioned, those high-tech stamped steel parts that connect wood. We have fasteners. So those are load-rated engineered construction fasteners that connect wood to wood. And then we also have anchors. So think uh, when you think anchors, think a large high-tech screw that connects 
for example, a wall system into a concrete foundation. I, I built one house in my life. I, well, I had builders build it, but I, I did try to get engaged in, uh, in, it was, in it's, it, it's right near where your headquarters are. And, and I try to get engaged in every single piece of the house. So when there was a wall that I had to go up and we put, put, put a special, you know, some kind of uh, 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 cinder blocks up, I would put one of the cinder blocks out and I would, so I, I was involved with this using your stuff, uh, putting these bolts into the, into the concrete and stuff. And it's, it's pretty amazing all of the technology there. And I wonder in your business that is so kind of old world, it doesn't seem to be so tied into software and semiconductors and everything. What are the most technological things going on in your literal nuts and bolts, brick, literally bricks yeah. and mortar business? Yeah, so, so the, I think the biggest technology investment really and for us and also for the industry is, is around software development. So if you look at the building and construction industry in general, I think we haven't reached our full potential from driving productivity with software tools. And so that is a big effort on a Simpson end. I mean, we're working on developing a lot of tools that help our customers make sure they select, specify, engineer, and uh, use the correct products in, in the right applications. And we do that with web apps. We do that with um, kind of enterprise-wide systems. We do that with various selector tools. There's a lot of different ways that we're using software to help our customers um, figure out which product to use and how to engineer it into their particular application. And we think that's just the very beginning of that. We think there's a lot of room to run in that space. Have the, have the last the technology, your company is, is, is uh, generations old. Um, have the adaptions of of cloud and even the internet in the last 25 years made these uh, technological uh, uh, computer technology adoptions for your company a lot faster and quicker. Like when you see something like AI, you're like, yeah, we went through this 10 years ago when we were going into the cloud and now we know we're going to jump on AI and we know how to put, we know what we, we know what we do. And so we can actually figure out how to, we have new tools to do it differently. Um, so I, I think that's still in development. So the, certainly the cloud we're using, we're certainly using various aspects of AI the trick in that is really pulling that whole story together into one seamless um, experience for our customers where they can design things, they can specify, they can select, they can order, um, they can use artificial intelligence in the appropriate way. We help them visualize our products, um, we train them, we do everything and we want to try to put that into a one-stop shop to really help our customers um, get more efficient and build safer, stronger structures. Um, it's, it's also fascinating. Are you looking at other, um, chemical technologies and things that are changing with the kinds of things that you're say, uh, selling? Uh, every company seems to be so much more concerned about ESG, uh, but here you guys are in the business of using steel and concrete. Yeah. So our, um, from an adhesive perspective, we have a, a relatively small business where we sell adhesive anchors. So again, that would be, um, putting fasteners into concrete and then attaching the fastener to the concrete with adhesive. So that, that it, that is a part of our business. That's a key product line. Um, we are, as with everybody watching how that develops, I don't think that's going to be a big mover from an ESG perspective. Um, I think there are other things we can do in the space uh, other than that that can make a bigger impact. Well, how is it you've been able to grow so consistently despite the volatility? Uh, and I'm not, I'm not couching the words, you know, the, the housing starts mark are, are, are in the tank. Um, but, but, Given the volatility of the housing market, you guys have managed really consistent growth. And I wonder, uh, what, what's how do you look at the volatility of the industry that you are closestly related to and avoid it? Um, so 
first of all, I think we've got a great business model. And that business model is around driving those specifications, delivering great service to our channel partners, pulling things through with the builders. Um, we are heavily into innovation and we're, we've developed a lot of products that have helped advance the industry. So we're doing a lot of things to make our market bigger and we're doing a lot of things to help us gain new customers. Uh, we also roll out a plan in 2025 that helps us uh, take our business model and extend it into other areas. So for example, we're taking our um, connection solutions, our structural connection solutions, and we're transferring that into new markets um, in the OEM space, original equipment manufacturer space. For example, we're helping people build better crating systems. We're helping people develop better trailer systems um, by looking at the wood to wood, wood to metal connections that we typically experience in the housing industry. So you add all that up, that helps us drive above market growth. That's part of the reason why you're seeing the results that you're driven, that you're seeing. And that is one of our um, three main financial ambitions is to drive above market growth. That's super interesting. I wonder how you stay in touch with the big trends going on in the general world of business, not just in the building business, so that you're doing your job as a leader and making sure your company is adopting the best, smartest ideas out there that other competitors might not be. Yeah, good question. So, I mean, we've got a, a big management team that spent a lot of time interacting with a lot of suppliers, a lot of customers. Um, but we're also making sure that we're getting a little bit outside in view. And just recently, we went to another company um, with our leadership team. So I took uh, my direct reports uh, to another uh, another fairly large company, and we started from the beginning. We said, hey, here's how we think about mission, vision, values. Here's how we think about strategy. Here's how we think about driving execution. Here's how we think about running a sales team. And then they did the same thing. So we spent basically a little bit over a day and a half uh, sharing best huh. practices back and forth. And what was what industry was the other company? And I obviously you've chosen not to name them. Yeah, so they, they are in the building and construction industry. So and I'd rather not release the name. Um, so but they still they, they've got a different perspective. They got different channel partners. They've got a different business model. So we still get some of that uh, different perspective um, um, when we have those discussions. And that's one of the things that I want to try to do more of. And I'm personally trying to build a network outside of uh, outside the industry because I haven't been in this industry a long time anyways just to have sounding boards and other people that can help us think through things and give a different perspective. That's really interesting. I've never heard of a company doing that. It's a fast, it's a smart idea. I actually, my past experience, I've seen that a little bit where you get different management teams together. Um, it, it takes the right group. And, and I think that starts with uh, the one leader connecting with a lot, another leader and making sure that they've got a similar view on things and uh, have that continuous improvement mindset and are willing to be open and share. Fantastic. Community. I like it. All right. Simpson Manufacturing CEO, Michael Oski, appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Coming up next, The Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Simpson right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot -E com. All right, we're back with a bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. And Simpson Manufacturing, uh, interesting story, Isaac. Um, and I mentioned the, that wood connector and trust business that is kind of the heart of this company. Mm -hmm. uh, and indeed, their their biggest of their, their three units. They also have fasteners and concrete as their other three big business units. But they're, yes, they have over 50% market share. But that's a, you don't think about like the stupid little things that connect two by fours to the ground or, two by fours to each other as being such a huge business? 
wonder how big, so with 54% share, you wonder how big they've got uh, this business now internationally? Here's your number. $1.35 billion. Well, I mean, everyone's got to have it, right? Well, no, but you'd think everyone already has it. I mean, every house I'm in has already been built, except for the few that I've been in while they're being built. But uh, yeah, um, uh, just just a giant business. Um, and as you can hear, a really solid management team growing this thing. Stock's been on fire. I mean, I, I, I shouldn't let him get off the hook with the, with telling me that having a 45% or so gross margin is, is a customer-friendly deal. It's not. <laughs> Lower prices is more customer-friendly. But whatever. They've been, they've been making money. They're staying in business. And the stock... Uh, has just been off to the races. Yeah. Uh, 45% year to date, uh, 29% for the year uh, on fire. Right, you've been listening to Drill Down Podcast. We are grateful for your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer, and Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. Mm-hmm.